0: But Thanksgiving's coming upon us, just a few days away, and um, I really pray that my sermon this morning will bless you. But before I start preaching, I have a video I want you to see. Clip. Come and get it, y'all. Yeah, baby. Let's eat. Come on. Grab right, a turkey. <laughs> Everyone, thank your mother for driving to the store and getting this. Thank you, Mom. Student football. Get all you want. Come on. Hustle, hustle. You gotta get back over Go on Going ground. Don't take my spot. You're rushing, Este. SJ? Oh, down. No. <laughs> this is fantastic. Oh, y'all, I forgot the potato salad. How's Ole Miss doing? They're Yay. kicking butt. One wide receiver. Left row miss, mm-hmm. one corner, number 30 out Press coverage, obviously. Sean Salad. Great, so right, so Mama. There. Yeah, Mama. Nice little surge, but uh, not Come much on. running inside. Come Rebels got third and long here. Birdsong and Mawini on the tackle. Almost five of ten on third downs from the 26. Third down and six for the Rebels. You want to be The rain is slow. Let's see if they try a pass or not. Now Turner goes in motion out of the backfield. Face showing blitz here they come. Manning the throw runs to his right, throws it at the feet of the. Hey! Whoa! No. But it's Thanksgiving. Wow! Why are we even here? Shh. Shall we say grace? Heavenly Father, we thank you for all the many blessings on this family. We thank you for bringing us a new friend. And we ask that you look after us on this holiday season that we may never forget how very fortunate we are. Amen. Amen. Oh, yeah, that's good. Praise the Lord. Amen. how many of you have seen Blind Side? God, I love that movie. I'm probably going to watch it again. Amen. All right, you can turn my lights back on. <laughs> Hallelujah. You know, as this Thanksgiving time is, is uh, approaching us, uh, the Lord gave me something to speak on. I thought it would be very relevant to the time that we're coming upon. We're getting ready. Many of us, not all of us, are getting ready to go into you know, our houses and have meals with family, with friends. And uh, this time of the year, uh, including Christmas, is a great time for some, and it's not a great time for others. And so for some, it's a time of, I can't wait to get together with my family and friends and all the good food. And for others, it just brings sometimes pain to their heart because of relations that have been cut off, relations that have been, ships that have been uh, severed. And so they don't look forward. They're apprehensive about going to the table, right? And so, but today I pray that I can bring these two groups together this morning that when I present to you and the name of my sermon is at the table, when I present to you this, I pray that, that you would never forget what I speak to you today. I pray that it will always resonate in your heart. And no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, no matter what your story is, that you can actually have an at-the-table experience that is a wonderful at-the-table experience. Amen? And so, you know, the dining table overall, you know, what does that really represent to us? It, uh, we nourish ourselves. Right, We come together, we celebrate important milestones or events or people. So we're getting ready to celebrate a, a very important event, Thanksgiving, when the pilgrims came over, our freedom. That's a very important event. Uh, the first Thanksgiving, uh, when we, we became free from England, the tyranny of England. We're able to come over here on this land, worship God the way we wanted him to worship. It was very hard doing that. A lot of people's lives were lost, but we're here today because of that. So that is a milestone. That's an event that we celebrate, but we also, what else do we celebrate at the table? We celebrate people and their birthdays, right? We celebrate anniversaries, and many times we're just celebrating eating, right? A meal to have together. That's what a dining table or the dining table represents. But, you know, I want to talk to you real quick. You know, research has been done from Harvard, Princeton, Yale, through sociologists, through psychologists. Um, They don't understand why, but they've all said it, that throughout these years, they have come to realize that when they're counseling, talking to people, uh, stats, the research has shown that those people who have actually had table time with their families are the people who had the most, uh, uh, how do you say it? They're the ones that stayed together. People that don't have meals together, that don't have family time, that don't come to the table, they don't stay together. Relationships are strained, and there's a lot of pain. They don't know why it happens, but I'm going to tell you this morning why it happens. It's a simple sermon, but it's a very deep subject, and I don't have time to really go where I wanted to go with all of it, but it would have to be a part two. But today I'm going to cover part one. Amen? So in the Bible, whenever you hear the term to... Um, partake of the table, it means to participate in the meal. It just means to participate at the meal or in the meal. And so um, the Lord's table or the table of the Lord is actually talked about in the Bible. What, what is that? That's the communion table. This is done as a memorial to honor and to worship him and him alone. The Lord's table or the table of the Lord is referring to us celebrating the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus and celebrating what he did for us and in us. We take the bread, we drink from the cup. That's called the Lord's table or the table of the Lord. But did you know that the very first table ever made was made by God and was made by the instruction of God? Being at the table means to fellowship and to have communion with I know that things aren't always easy at the table, but I'm going to show you before you get out of here today, how we can make things a lot easier for ourselves at the table when everybody's not as easy to get along with. Amen? And if you can just get the heart of what I'm about to say, and if you can see the heart of God on why he did what he did, then you can see the importance of being at the table. Amen? So the very first table ever constructed was constructed by God through Moses. Moses was the general contractor. God was the architect. He laid out a plan, and he told, So the significance of the table, he, number one, Exodus 25, he said, make a table. He was the first one that ever made a table. Uh, Moses was raised in Pharaoh's house, right? He was raised in an Egyptian culture. You'll also make a table of acacia wood. Two cubits shall be its length, a cubit its width, a cubit and a half its height. A cubit is 18 inches. So 18 inches wide, 36 inches long, 27 inches high. The thing about that table is that he also said put a hand breadth all the way around it for a border. So my hand is 6 inches From here to here, so if you add six inches to the border around, so now we've got, you know, 30 plus another 12, right? Am I saying that? 36, I'm sorry, 18 plus another 12 is 30 inches wide, right? So you have a 30-inch wide table, and with that border now, you have a 48-inch long table, and it says four legs. He's the one that gave it four legs. Now, Moses was raised in Pharaoh's house. In the Egyptian culture, there was no tables, They sat on the floor. They sat on the ground. They put their food on marble slabs. In the Asian culture, it's either a piece of wood or it's a big blanket. They put their food, you know, Morocco. They sit around a blanket or a piece of wood or a marble slab. I don't know about you, but I don't think that I could sit on my knees or crisscross, Indian crisscross, for a long period of time trying to eat my meal. It's just not that comfortable. So God is the first one that designed the table. He made the first table. And so then he said, um, then he said in verse 30, I want you to put the showbread on the table. You shall set the table, the showbread on the table, you set the showbread on the table before me always. The word showbread means Bread of the face or bread of his presence. So face, bread of God's face means, you know, Moses couldn't look at God's face. You know, he could look at his back, but when he on the mat, he couldn't look at his face or kill him. But literally Hebrew means bread of the face. In other words, the bread is in God's face, the bread of his presence. It wasn't God. It wasn't the presence of God because the presence of God was in the ark. So the ark of the covenant was the very first piece of furniture that was ever made. And the table was the second piece that he told Moses to make. Told him how he wanted it to be. It's going to have legs. It's going to be this high. It's going to be this wide. It's going to be this long. And today, to this day, it represents our tables that we sit at. Amen? So I thought that was kind of cool. And so Exodus 25, 23, God said, make a table. He said, put the bread of my presence on this table to be before me always. And then he said, Place the table 2635. Exodus 2635 says he told them where to place it. There's a specific way, specific room, you know. He made it face north, okay. Then he said in Exodus 40, he said, Now I want you to set the table. So he made the table. He said, Make a table. He said, Place the table in this area. In Exodus 37, he says, I want you to make dishes and pans, and plates, and bowls, pitchers for the table. The pitchers are jars. So the jars are what the drink offering went into. The wine, right? And sometimes wine mixed with blood, whatever the drink offering came from the jars. Amen? So he gave him, make the table, place the table, make dishes out of gold, for the table, and then he said, set the table. In Numbers, I'm doing this from memory now, I think Numbers 4, it says, God told Moses, I want you to make a a special fine linen cloth for the table, and it had to be blue. And so the most expensive colors to make in Israel um, are blue, purple, and red. And nobody in the common had that. Only kings... And people of high nobility wore blue, purple, and red. It was hard to make those dyes. Very, very expensive. They got them out of these little shells and whatever they did. It took a long time. I watched them make what they were making. I'm like, that is a lot of work. So um, blue. I want the linen cloth to be blue, and then I want you to make a cloth and dye it scarlet red and lay it over the dishes and then he said, "I want you to put badger skins over that." So he's—you know—this is when you're getting ready to pick up camp and leave. But as I've said, he said, "Make a table, place the table, make dishes for the table, and then set the table." God is the first table maker. Amen. We'll come to that da- back to that in just a minute. Let's talk about what the table means and how it was used in the New Testament. Amen. So if you will go to, we're talking about the table and the importance of the table. And so if you'll go to Luke 19, this is a special story. Uh, Luke 19, I believe it's 1 through 10. Then Jesus passed through Jericho. Uh, When we went to Israel, we passed through Jericho. Jericho was not a good place to stop and stay. It was not a safe place, right, Tiff, to stop and stay. We had our windows rolled up. We had them shut. We had the bus locked. We were passing through Jericho. Looks like Jesus was passing through. Except, behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector. He was rich. He sought to see who Jesus was but could not because of the crowd because he was short. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said, Zacchaeus, make haste, come down, for today I must stay at your house. Wow, Zacchaeus is a sinner. He's a sinner. And Jesus said, get down out of the tree. I'm coming to your house today. Not just to visit, but to have a what? To have a meal at your table. And so Zacchaeus, he hurried down. He got out of that sycamore tree. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. Amen. Climbed up into a sycamore tree for hopes the Lord he would see. Amen. So Jesus came to the place. He looked up, saw him, and said, Zacchaeus, hurry up, come down for today. I must stay at your house. He made haste and came down and received him joyfully. That's a key. He received him with joy. He, didn't, he did not dishonor him, disrespect him anyway. He received him with joy. But when they, who's they? The Pharisees, the religious people. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying he has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods. Now, now between those two verses, I want you to see. Jesus said, Zacchaeus I'm coming to your house today Mm -hmm. to sup with you, to dine with you. Just that statement where he came to his house and said, I'm going to spend time with you. What was he saying? I accept you. I accept you. Not I accept your sin. I accept you. I value you. I'm coming to your house. I'm going to have a meal with you. Just the working of that miracle right there came into Zacchaeus' heart and worked a miracle in his heart when Jesus said, I want to come eat with you. And he said, Lord, it changed his heart because he, he was a cheat. He was like, you know, an IRS maybe, you know, or something. <laughs> Taking money shouldn't taken, right? And immediately, I give half of my goods to the poor. If I've taken anything from anyone by false accusations, he already knows. He was very rich and he got it illegally. If I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I'll restore four times that much. And Jesus said to him today, salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and save that which was lost. The power of Jesus saying, I'm coming to your house today. And the Pharisees said, and it's it's translated another way in another scripture, in another book, it says they were mad at Jesus because he reclines at the table with sinners. That's what they said. So you need to, and I I made this reference in the first service, that there was uh, something coming out uh, quite a few years ago about we need to be relevant to people, we need to go to the bars, we need to go to the dance clubs and sit and drink with them so we can share Jesus with them. This is not what we're talking about. The bars are a specific place for specific things to happen. The dance clubs are a specific place for specific things to happen. Jesus went to Zacchaeus' house and had a meal with him. It's okay to have a go to a meal and have dinner at someone's house if they're not born again. Because just the fact that Jesus came to his table... Worked a, a miracle in his human heart and he said, wow, I'm accepted and now I'm going to straighten it up. Amen. The power of Jesus, even in that situation, is said because of that meeting, salvation came to Zacchaeus, It his house, not just him, to his whole house. Amen? Amen. The prodigal son was restored to the family at the table. Let's read that, Luke 15 and the and the son said, verse twenty one Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight luke fifteen twenty one I've sinned against you and a heaven against heaven and in your sight. you called your son." And then the father said, verse twenty two, but the father said, "Bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, put sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf. Listen. He didn't say, "Hey, I'm glad to see you, good to be home. you can you know." Go back to your room, you know. We're all good. No, he didn't say that. He said, we're going to celebrate. He said, bring out the fatted calf here and kill it and let us what? Eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. They began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field and then you know the story. Maybe you don't know the story. Good boy that never left with his father's inheritance, they're supposed to get it when he dies. But the first son Took it, said, I want it now. I don't want to wait till you die. Took it, spent it all on riotous living. Had nothing. But the the other son, the older son was a good boy. He stayed, served his father. I'll take it when it's at the right time. But he was mad because the father was celebrating his return. He's like, here, this guy's a jerk. Took all your money, da-da-da-da-da. And now you're celebrating that he's home? He says, I've served you all these years. I've done what's right. I've served you faithfully. You're not throwing a big party for me, and I'm the one that's done the right thing. So what does the father say? He says, he answered and said to his father, I just said you that, but as soon as verse 30 is, the son of yours came, who's devoured all your livelihood with harlots and prostitutes, you killed a fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you're always with me, and you and all that I have is yours. It's, it was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and he's alive again and he was lost, but now he's found. And so, what he's saying to the is like, you can party anytime you want. Everything I have here is yours. You can kill a fatted calf and have a party with your friends anytime you want. But now, your younger brother has come home. He was lost. Basically, he's on his way to hell. And now he's made alive again. That is something to celebrate. And where did they celebrate it? They celebrated it at the table. Remember, the table is God's idea. The table was his creation, his idea. Mary Magdalene wiped Jesus' feet with her hair as he was reclining at the table. Proverbs 9.2 says, Your wife will be a fruitful vine around your table and your sons or sons and daughters, your children will be like olive shoots around the table. Let me make this very clear. Your sons and daughters, what is an olive shoot? An olive shoot, a lot of tree has very strong roots that go very deep. We were walking in the garden of Gethsemane and we saw a tree or two, but there was one in particular that was over 1,000 years old. Or was it almost two? I think it was closer to 2,000 years old, an olive tree, still doing well. It was gnarly. It was big. It was fat. But it was great. It was still alive. But an olive tree has strongest and deepest roots. And what it's saying here in the Word, it says your children will be olive shoots around your table, not olive shoots around their university degree. It does not say that your children will be strong and strengthened around their school education. It does not say that your children or your wife will be strong in the midst of her friends or their friends. Where will the wife be the fruitful vine and be the most fruitful? It'll be around the table, the the, the meeting place, the place where you partake of the table, the place where you participate in the meal. That is where your children learn. That is where they thrive. That is where they grow. That is where when there are things that are going on in the home that is difficult, when they come to the table, they know they're accepted. Doesn't mean everything they're doing is right. This is not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is that when you're invited to a meal, you feel accepted. That's a very special part of our day, to be able to eat and fellowship together. You don't get strong necessarily from just going to conferences and meetings. You get strong around the table. The table of what? The table of acceptance. Mm -hmm. It's at the table. And that's why, and as we go down, because I didn't want to say all this at at the front end, but let's read um, Luke 14. Luke 14. Didn't have time in the first service verse 12 Jesus said Luke 14 verse 12 he also invited him when you give a dinner or a supper do not ask your friends your brothers your relatives your nor your rich neighbors lest they also invite you back they you can be repaid if you do that but when you give a feast invite the poor the maimed the lame and the blind and you'll be blessed because they cannot repay you for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just all Jesus is saying is here it doesn't mean with your friends and your family. He's just saying, don't always just have a meal with your friends and your family and people that are rich because these people can repay you. Have times where you invite people to your table who can't ever repay you. If you know of someone in this congregation or in this church that you know that, that they're not going to be invited anywhere and they're just a single person, seek them out. And at least ask. At least ask, would you like to come to our table? Would you like to come to Thanksgiving? I know your family's there. I know they may not be mission and meshing with your family, but it's not good for them to be alone. They need to feel acceptance at the table. They may have had everything cut off from them. And if you're on that side and you are that alone person that you know you're not going to be at the table with anyone, then maybe you can just step out a little bit and ask someone that maybe you've been talking to and go, hey, let's go to Perkins and order Thanksgiving dinner on Wednesday or something. If it's just the two of us, let's have a meeting at the table. Amen? Amen? So then, let's go on. Now, when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, said to him, blessed is he who will eat bread. Remember that word, will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then he said to him, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many. This is a parable that God's talking to him, telling about himself. He's that certain man. Gave us a great supper, invited many, sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. He was excited. Actually, the other uh, gospel says that it was a wedding feast, and he invited all these people to the wedding feast. He said, Come on now to the wedding feast. All things are now ready, but they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a piece of ground. I must go and see it. Ask you to have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke oxen. I'm going to that to test him. I ask you to excuse me from the table. Another said, I've married a wife, therefore I cannot come. So the servants came back and reported these things to the master. The master of the house became very angry and to his servant, he said, Go out quickly in the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it's done as you've commanded and still there's room. The master said, Go now into the highways and the byways. Compel them to come in that my house will be filled. For I say to you that none of those men were invited; that were invited shall taste of my supper. Preparing this huge banqueting table. He is preparing the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he is asking us, Go out. Go out. The ones that I invited which were his Jewish people that had rejected him, though the ones that will receive him as Lord, they will come. But he said, they're not invited anymore. Go out in the highways and the byways and those that receive me, Jesus is Lord. Then they will be the ones to join me at the marriage supper of the Lamb, not at the marriage conference of the Lamb, at the marriage supper. What are we getting ready to have? We're getting ready to have a big meal. So let me back up. Uh, Let me say this. 2 Samuel 9, David said, Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, who he was in covenant with, when he found out he was lame in his feet, Mephibosheth, when he became before the king, he thought he was going to be killed because he was an enemy of Saul. But he said, Mephibosheth, I made a covenant with your father. You shall always eat bread at my table. He could have said a million things. He could have said, you'll always be in my house. You'll always be able to hang out with us. No, he said, you, Mephibosheth, will always eat bread at my table. In other words, you're accepted at my table. Amen. So then the Holy Spirit fell in the banquet hall of the upper room. So when the upper room, having the, even in the last supper, they're at a table. It was a supper. It wasn't just Crackers and wine, right? It wasn't just bread and wine. It was a supper. It was a meal they were having, and in the upper room, that was actually a banquet hall. We were in it in Israel. It's a banquet hall. You have to bring a table in to have a banquet. But the Holy Spirit fell in a banqueting hall in the upper room, and so, you know, what is the purpose of the table or a table? Uh, instruction. You can you can receive instruction. You can receive information. Finding out how your day's going, you can teach at the table. but what, what really is the most important factor at the table? The most important factor at the table to be felt is restoration and acceptance. That's really what is, is the most important thing to be felt at the table is, do you accept me? As a human being? Do you accept me? So let's go backwards into the exodus. I love this when I started reading this. The first table made by God had legs. I already went over that with you. He said, Exodus 25, 30. Go ahead and put that up on the screen again. Exodus 25, 30. He said that you will place the bread. That looks like the New Testament to me. Exodus 25, 30. He said, put the show bread before me always. Put the bread of my presence, the bread of the presence. The presence was God. The presence was the Father God. So Moses built the tabernacle, and we were in Shiloh, and we saw how it was constructed. We saw, I mean, it's all torn down, but we saw you know, where it was and how big it was, about the length of a, a small football field, I guess. And so he put up poles, he put up the tent, and when God told him to construct it, he said, okay, so the first piece of furniture was the Ark of the Covenant, where he put the testimony, the tablets, you know, the Ten Commandments, and he says, and the mercy seat and the cherubims, all that was in the Ark of the Covenant. But then he said, in front of the Ark, that's where I'm gonna dwell, right there. But in the front of the Ark was a lot—was a veil. It was a sheet, And then on the other side of that veil was the table, was what they call the Lord's table, the table of the Lord. That's what he told them to build. And on that table were the dishes. On that table was the linen cloth. It was set. And so he said, put the bread, which there were 12 loaves of bread, or you could say 12 round cake loaves of bread, which they all represented the 12 tribes of Israel. And every Sabbath, they cook a new batch of 12 loaves of fresh bread and then the priests are able to in a certain fashion eat the old loaves that have been sitting there only the priest and their sons are able to eat those uh, old loaves at the table and bring in the fresh ones but he said keep the bread of my presence before me always on the table so the beauty of this is that God's presence was behind the veil. So what is the bread of his presence? What, what is that? It wasn't him. He said, keep the bread of my presence or the bread of my face, that bread that's supposed to always be before my face, the bread of my presence. Keep it before me always. Well, let's go to John 6. When I read this, it was great, you know, and this is, I'm going to show you how this links to your Thanksgiving day coming up. (laughs) So just hold on. John 6, 35. Let me start with 32. Jesus said to them, most assuredly I say to you, Moses, we're talking about what I've been talking about, right? The tabernacle, the temple. Moses did not give you the bread from heaven But my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. You know where I'm going, right? For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. The bread of his presence was Jesus. It represented who he was getting ready to send down. And Jesus said to them, verse 35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. Go down to verse 51. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of of the world the bread of his presence represented the bread that was coming down from heaven the first original table had the bread of his presence on there and when the blood comes together with the bread of his presence it brings redemption to the table it brings restoration to the table invariably it brings life to the table what happened at the table? We're talking in the Old Testament. Life happened at the table. When the blood came together with the bread of his presence, then the, it was, and then took the blood and sprinkled it on the mercy seat. And when only the high priest could go into where the Ark of the Covenant was. So that table is so important because God has always meant for the table to bring life. Always, he was the designer of it. He's the one that came up with it, and so I wanted to to, to say this to you. John 19:30, Jesus said, "It is finished." So go to Luke 22. I'm not being schizophrenic, but we'll read this first. Luke 22:20. 20. I may not have given that to you, and I apologize. But Jesus said this in Luke 22:20. 20. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper. It was a meeting saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you. And in another version of the Bible, it says it's being poured out. And if you remember on the cross, when they put the the spirit in him, the water came out, the blood poured out of him. It flowed. And he said, this is the cup. Of the new covenant, my blood that's being poured out to you. And that jar that was made out of gold, they call it the goblet or the jar, you know, that was where drink offerings were placed. And that was where blood and wine, drink offerings, it all was symbolic to be in coming together with the bread of his presence, which is who? Jesus. Amen. So Jesus said, or God said, set the table. When God said, make the table, place the table, and then set it. And today, I believe Jesus is saying, all I need you to do is set the table. And if you'll set the table and you'll set the atmosphere, then only Jesus can do what he does and work in the human hearts that are around the table that you've invited And so how many times do you remember times where you've been sitting at a table where you've been able to have conversations face-to-face with people and you've been able to speak life into them? I was just at a wedding, sat beside a young lady who was a real estate agent of the bride and groom, and she's sitting at the table. She's making merry. She's having fun. We're all talking. She felt very accepted because she was sitting at a table with us. We're just pastors that are doing the wedding. But she thought, wow, I get to sit with y'all. And before you know it, she's pouring out her life story over chicken and champagne to me. I didn't ask for it, but what I did ask the Lord for that morning was if there's anyone that I can help today, please show me who it is and help me do it. Help me see it and help me do it. And help me go in, not for the kill, go in for the life. Amen? And here she is. I'm so glad I get to sit here and eat with you all. And she is pouring out her life story to me. And at some point, it just flowed. And I said, have you ever made Jesus the Lord of your life? She says, I don't know. She says, but I love him. I love him. I've loved him all my life. I'm Catholic. I love him. I said, would you like to know that you know that you know that you're going to make heaven when you die and be able to spend eternity with him? And I said something else, too. And she said, yes. And I opened up my phone, which I didn't have my Bible at the reception. I opened up my phone to John 3, 16 through 18. I made her read it. I opened up my phone to Romans 10, 9, and 10. I made her read it. And when she did, I said, are you ready? She said, yes. And we prayed. I shut my eyes like a good Assembly of God girl. We prayed. I made her repeat the prayer after me. And when I opened my eyes, her her face streaming down with tears gloriously changed the presence of God. I'm the bread of his presence because I'm the body of Christ now. You're the bread of his presence because you're the body of Christ. You're going to bring life to your table. And I'm going to show you how to do it without feeling weird. Amen? So, uh, go to 1 Corinthians. I'm going to show you this, ten seventeen. First 1 Corinthians 1017. God is just saying to us, have the table, place the table somewhere and set it. Prepare it. The table is a prepared place. Let me tell you about Psalm 23.5. I prepare for you a table in the presence of your enemies. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. When all hell is breaking loose in your life, when you want to give up, when you want to quit, God looks at you and says, Hey, hey, wait a minute, stop. I am making a table. I'm preparing a table. Come on, sit down. Let's eat. Let's sup. Let's dine. Let's make merry. In the presence of your enemies. While your enemies are all around you, you know, glaring at you, calling you names. He didn't say, let's run off to a little room and hide. He says, I'm going to make a table right for you, right here, right now, in the presence of crap." crap. Right? He says, I'll prepare the table. Prepare your table. Don't just throw it together. Prepare it and say come dine meet with me because now you are the bread of his presence to those who are not born again you are the one that brings hope to this table so if you'll go to where did I tell you to go for we though many for we the people individually we are what one bread I just told you that you're the bread you're the show bread you're the face, you're the face of his presence. We though many are one bread and one body for we all partake of one bread, which is Jesus. So if you never saw it before now, to me that's very obvious. For the, we though many are one bread and one body for we all partake of that one bread, we participate in the meal. You're the bread of his presence now. You're the show bread. Jesus made the way. He redeemed us by the blood of the lamb. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to read this to you because I don't want to say it by memory and just spout it off. But Hebrews 9:12 says this. But Christ came verse 11 as a high priest of good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands. He came from a tabernacle not made with hands, that is not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves. But with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a sprinkled on the unclean sanctifies with fear of the flesh, how much more, say how much more, Amen. shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God. Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. When he said in John, it is finished. It is finished. What's finished? What is finished? And the veil of the temple was torn into that veil between the table and the ark, right? That veil, that veil, what is finished? What's finished is that a priest doesn't have to keep going in on a yearly basis and killing an animal, right? right, for your sins, Jesus says, he entered in once and for all, made the sacrifice for every one of us with his own blood. Shiloh, Shiloh, the temple, the tabernacle, that was just copies of what is true. It was just copies. All this time, God was making a copy until the real and true one came, took his own blood, entered into the most holy place, sprinkled his blood on the mercy seat. And redeemed us back to Him. Now let's talk about us. Let's talk about Thanksgiving. Let's talk about the table. I thought that was really neat when I saw that. Um, in Revelation 3:20, Jesus said, "Behold, I stand at the door and I knock." Behold, I stand. Revelation 3:20. Behold, I stand at the door. And I knock. Now, Jesus. Does not say he's going to send you a text message or call you to see if it's okay and a good time for him to come over. Jesus said, I'm just coming to the door. I'm coming to your door. And I'm knocking. And I'm knocking. And I'm knocking and I'm not forewarning you that I'm coming but I'm knocking behold I stand maybe today someone's knocking at your door maybe someone through the words that I've spoken and through the life Jesus said my words the spirit in their life someone's knocking at your door and Jesus is there he's saying behold I stand at the door and knock if anyone anybody no matter who you are doesn't matter what you've done doesn't matter what you've been through if anyone hears my voice and opens up the door I will come in to him and do what dine with him. I will have a meal with him. I will sup with him. That's what the King James Version says. So not like what's up but I will sup, sup. No it's I will sup. I will have supper with him. You got that Zach? I just you know a little culture change there but um so Jesus said I will come into him and I will dine with him if you open up the door. Not I will go through the drive through with him. Many times Jesus comes to our door and we say, not tonight. I'm busy. Now let's just take it to a natural. We don't have many meals at our tables anymore because we've got soccer practice at night. We're going to the movies at night. We're always on the move. We're always on the go. We're working late. We got choir rehearsal. We got practice. We got Wednesday night Bible study. Listen, some of those things are fine and good. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying if you got every night of your week full and you can't have two or three meals a week at the table, then there's something wrong. There's something wrong. Did I talk earlier about the mountain? The erosion? So erosion many times happens from within or from underneath. Many times erosion happens from underneath, and it happens with our culture. It's happened with our culture. Our culture has eroded And so if you look at this at 10,000 peak, 10,000 foot mountain, and you see the peaks and they look like this and they look like this, and you have the picture of those peaks and they're 10,000 feet, you know, over time, wind, water, sand, dirt, rocks, things are moving, but it's eroding from underneath the mountains getting smaller. It's getting shorter and it's going from 10 to eight, but you don't really see the difference because it happened over a slow uh, period of time. The peaks look the same. They're still in place, but the mountain's shorter. And then it comes down to 6,000 because wind, water, eroding, eroding. That's what's happened to our culture. The mountain went from 10. It still looks the same. The peaks look the same. Then it went to 8. Then it went to 6. Then it went to 5. Then it went to 2. And now the mountain's way down here. The culture has eroded our values, has eroded the time that we have to sit at the table and to fellowship. The table that God made, which is the first table, we're to take bread with each other. We're to spend time with one another. Acceptance and life can happen at the table. Acceptance and life is supposed to happen at the table. Doesn't mean you accept everything that person did. It doesn't mean that they have to be perfect to come to your table. It means you accept them and you, you value them their human value of the blood of Jesus that was shed for them, just like it was shed for you. If you can't think of anything good at the table that that someone's sitting at with you, you can value them and look at them through eyes for the blood. What do you have eyes for? There's a lot of people that have eyes for a lot of things. But it's time for you to spiritually exercise and discern how to have eyes for the blood. That, that person sitting in front of me, I may not like the way they're acting. I may not agree with the choices that they're making. They may be nasty. They may be ugly. I mean, there's certain times you do speak to them and go, You're not doing this at this table. But you don't throw them away at the table. Amen. You look at them. I value you through the eyes of the blood. Yeah. Jesus thought you were valuable enough to die and shed his blood for, yeah. just like me. And I value you because of that. Yeah. So, Let's look at Psalm 78, 19. Let's go back to Psalm 23. I just want to finish that. Let's just get done with Psalm 23. And I need to read it because sometimes it doesn't make it to the screen fast enough. Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Makes me to lie down in green pastures. Leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff. They come. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. What was the oil? When the shepherd put oil on the sheep, the it's to get all the bugs off them. They were eating them alive, so they would pour that, that oil all over them, and it would Make all the bugs go away where they could see again, where they could have relief. What is oil? You anoint my head with oil. He heals you. He heals you. He pours his healing anointing over you. Not only does he prepare that table in the presence of your enemies for you, he says, come and sit down and dine with me. I'm not only gonna do that, but I'm gonna pour oil all over your head. The healing anointing, the healing oil of God. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life really if you want to think about it properly that table that God has prepared for you in the presence of his enemies is the table of the Lord it is the communion table it's the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that redeems and restores and washes away and cleanses all sin so your enemy has nothing he can accuse you with because you've become the righteousness of the one that took your place. That really is the healing table. That is the table he's prepared before you. But here we have the table in our homes. And our homes and our culture have been so uh, washed away and eroded that families have been separated. There's no more table time. It's drive-through. It's, it's you know, there's, the kids run off even if mom does make a meal which is really hardly ever anymore. They run off and they go and play Nintendo or they watch videos eating a spaghetti frozen dinner. Where is the table? Mm -hmm. When I moved from Paisley, I had to leave my eight foot table there. There was no room in my little house that I moved into Mount Dora. It was an eight foot table. I wasn't especially endeared to the piece of wood, but it was when I left it with the people that I sold the house, I just, I had this weird feeling come over me. It was the worst feeling ever. You know, at the time that we moved, I was happy that my husband took my piano. That's all I can. I can't take any more. You know, sometimes you keep taking moving furniture around. It eventually falls apart, you know. But this was a big oak table, junior hand made for us. And um, it was solid, but we just, we'd have anywhere to put it. And what are you gonna do? Just keep something in storage for five, 10 years, whatever. I don't know. So at that time, I just said, leave it here. The people said they wanted it. But when I left it, I felt like all my memories at the table and all the times when people would be talking about Jesus, talking with our family, having good times, Christmas, all the Thanksgiving, years and years and years of it, 20 years of memories or whatever it was at that time, was stayed in a house that I sold to somebody else but they had no regards yeah. for that table. I know that sounds weird. Does that sound weird to you? But that's what it was. It was memories. It wasn't the wood. Right. And so I moved into this house. We remodeled our kitchen. I always wanted this granite counter, counter height bar, you know, and I love it. It's beautiful. If you've been in my house, you know, I love it. We sit at it. There's four, maybe five. But really, um, we didn't have a table for a long time. And after me, Justin, Pastor Daryl, Josh, we're sitting at this bar, which is gorgeous. We're always looking at a wall. We're never looking at each other. We're just facing a wall. The bars and the counters that have replaced tables in many people's homes, you're not looking at each other anymore. You're not making eye contact with any person anymore. You're just looking at a wall, and if you even try to have a conversation, your neck gets tired of looking this way while they're trying to talk to you. And so there's not a whole lot of talking that goes on at the bar or the counter, you know? So I got a little table, a little glass table. We started sitting back at the table again having conversation. It was it was wonderful. And then, then things moved around and people always wanted to congregate in that room so there was no more room for the little table. Finally, after another year of not having a table, I bought another table and said, to heck with all these chairs. They can just go somewhere else. I'm putting a table back in this room. We're going to sit at the table. Amen. And, and that story, uh, Pastor's wife told a story about her husband had invited a man who had been in prison for 13 years. I guess he'd been ministering to him. He invited, when he got out of jail, to come home and spend, I don't remember if it was the night, but I know it was a meal. So I believe it was a couple days, but the, the pastor had been spending time with him. He says to his wife, you're going to prepare a meal, and we're going to have, I'm going to call him Jack. He's going to come, and he'd, he'd been in prison for 13 years, and the cop called the woman because he knew her. He says, um, I'll call her Jane? Jane? I'm coming physically over to your house today. He's coming to you tomorrow. I'm coming physically over to your house today to hear you say that you understand why this man was in prison for 13 years before he comes and stays at your house. He came over to the house, and she said in front of him, I understand this man that's coming to my house to spend a few days, the reason he was in jail for 13 years is for assault and rape. He said, Okay, you still want him to come? She said, I trust my husband. I trust my husband. He's been with him. Mm -hmm. Now, I know with my husband, uh, if that happened, I would be able to say, I trust my husband. Because my husband, (laughs) that's not happening. He's very protective. Men are protectors. But he's very protective. So if he were to look at me and say, he's coming to our house, I would fully trust my husband. And she says, what do you cook a man who's been in jail for 13 years, prison, for assault and rape, for a first meal of his life, a real meal? Put a pot roast in. Jack comes over, very tall, from Detroit, very hardened, very tall, comes in, she's got the table set. She says, I prepared the table. I'm going to have to let God work in his heart. And she said to him, everybody come, everything's ready, She looked at him, said, Jack, have a seat. And he's like, ugh. She said, have a seat, over and over, like three times. Everybody was seated, she's like, Jack, here's your seat. And he could not move. His feet were glued to the floor. And he said to her, she said, what's wrong? Why can't you have a meal with us? Why can't you sit down? He said, I have never, ever sat at a table. Now there are tables in prison, but that's the only memory of a table was him sitting there with all the inmates. And you know that's not a good scenario. They're hardened, they're ugly, they don't like you. (laughs) You don't like yourself. He says, I've never sat at a table. She said that night as he sat at the table for the first time in his life, Only Jesus worked in his human heart the miracle of what needed to happen for the life of Christ and the love of God to come into him. And I tell you that story because it's happened with us. I know it's happened with y'all that when you come together and you sit at the table, allow the bread of his presence, which is you, allow that to be evident in your mind that I am actually bringing life to this table. Now let's talk about Thanksgiving and then I'm gonna close. Uh, Before I do, Song of Solomon 2 4 says, in the NLT translation, New Living Translation, he escorts me to his banqueting hall and it's obvious how much he loves me. That's what Song of Solomon 2 verse 4 says. He escorts me to his banqueting hall And it's obvious how much he loves me. He brought me to the banqueting house. His banner over me was love. What that means is he looked on me with love. When someone brings you to the table, in essence, really, what you're hearing is, I accept you. I may not like everything you do, but I accept you. Amen? Amen. There are times you need to bring that wayward son, that wayward daughter, that wayward person to the table. You know, And go, I love you. Let's have a meal together. And let Jesus, if you set the table, you prepare the table, let Jesus do what only Jesus can do at the table. When the blood came mixed with the bread of life, it brought redemption and restoration at the table. And so in Psalm 78, 19, it says this, Can God spread a table in the wilderness? Now, God is repeating what the Israelites said to him. God was mad, so I'm not going to read the whole scripture or passage. But basically, he said, you have said stout words against me. You looked at me and said, can God take care of us in the wilderness? Can God prepare a table in the wilderness? What's the answer? The answer is yes. He says, I brought manna out of heaven. I rained manna on you. The waters, I struck the rock. The waters gushed out. The streams overflowed. Can he bread also? Can he provide meat for his people? The answer is yes. And he said, I brought the quails. The quails came down. I blew them in the wind. I made them hover. So you could just pick them up with your hands and eat them. Can God prepare a table in the wilderness? Can he prepare a table in your wilderness? Yes, he can. In the midst of what looks like defeat, in the midst of what looks like sickness, in the midst of look like what utter failure, God right now is saying to you, I will prepare a table for you in your wilderness and you will sup and you will dine with me. Amen. Say God can prepare out of nothing. A table for me in my wilderness. In my desert, he can make my rivers flow. He can strike the rock and make the waters gush out. He can open doors that no man can shut. He can bring me out of a miry clay. That's your God. He brings you to his banqueting table. And his banner over you is love. So, let's talk about three days from now. Is it three? Three. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Four. I can count. Remember when you come to the table. I wrote these things down. Remember his goodness at the table. Give him glory. Be thankful unto him. Share and fellowship around his goodness. Not necessarily all the goodness of everybody else or the lack of it. Okay? Be reminded of His goodness towards you. And if you can't think of one good thing about a person sitting at your table, then I want you to think and be thankful about how much Jesus values them through his blood. I said that earlier. Do you have eyes for the blood? Give value. If you have eyes for the blood, give value and have compassion on people based on the value Jesus placed on them and you through the blood. And here's what I'm going to have to say. Own the room, own the table, and own the conversation. There's times when you're at a table and little digs are made. You can redirect that conversation. You can say, well, praise the Lord, and start talking about something else. Start talking about God's goodness. You you can stop that foolishness from going on and hurting and continuing to hurt. People are going to be people, and they're going to have flesh, And they're not here listening to this sermon today like you are. But you can just redirect. I've redirected many conversations. I own a room when I walk in it. I own the conversation. I decide what happens and what doesn't happen. I decide whether I want to participate or not. But when it's something like that at the table, we own the room. And we direct. And things are said to us that are disrespectful. And we turn it around. Even if it's just, well, praise the Lord, pass the mashed potatoes. Do you know what I mean? I'm telling you, we have learned how to own a room and be the bread of his presence. And change the subject 100% and talk about the goodness of God. Change the subject and give God glory. The Bible says the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. It says literally in Hebrew, the Lord is enthroned. He's enthroned in the midst of the praises of Israel. And we're his people. What does that mean? He sets up camp. He sets up his manifest presence. Actually, his manifest presence comes into your presence when you praise him and give him glory. If you will give God glory at your Thanksgiving table, I'm telling you right now, the bread of his presence will show up and it'll work in the human heart miracles that you would never be able to do otherwise. Amen? So this morning, if I can have our altar workers come forward. I'm going to say to you this morning, God loves you and he wants to bring you to his banqueting table because his banner over you is love. He looks on you with love. Jesus paid a very high price. He shed his blood. He is forever going to be a man. He's all God and he's all man too. He'll never get what he had before when he was up with his father before he came down. He still has holes in his side. He still has holes in his hands. He still has holes in his feet. He is is a man, but he's God too. He'll never go back to the way it was. He paid a high price for you so you could be redeemed back to him. And all he's saying is accept what my blood did for you. Don't just mentally assent to it. I love you, Jesus. Thanks, Jesus. That's cool. No, you have to say, Jesus, you did this for me. You did this for me. Wash away my sins. Forgive me. And he's right here, right now, ready to do it. Come in you. Live big inside of you. He will totally come in, and and he will make you brand new. You're not going to just have a fixed spirit. He'll put a new spirit within you, a perfect spirit. It'll always be perfect. You may not be perfect because your mind needs to be renewed, right? Right? Your mind needs to be renewed to the word. That's what the Bible says. But if you accept Jesus as Lord, he'll put a brand new spirit in you. You will be born again on your way to heaven, and you will have the capability in you to resist Satan and resist sin. He will empower you. That's what the gift of grace and the gift of righteousness does. He will make you righteous. Inside, inside, your spirit will become as righteous as his. Not because you're all that, but because he's all that. It is a gift. So if you've never remember a time that you said, Jesus, come inside, be my Lord, wash away my sin, make me brand new, put a new spirit within me. Come up here today. Don't let another day go because I cannot guarantee your life. I can't guarantee your life. You are one or the other. You're only in one of two families. You're in the family of darkness, the family of Satan, or the family of God. There is nothing else. Doesn't matter what color you are. Doesn't matter what you look like. You are in one of two families only. You are in the kingdom of God or you in the kingdom of Satan. And the minute you say yes to God, you become ruler over the kingdom of Satan. Colossians says he has qualified you now to become a partaker of the inheritance of the saints in light. And now he delivers you from all the power of darkness. You want that today? You need to come get it. His table spread. The table is spread. It's set and it's prepared. Take, partake, take, eat of the table and say, I accept the blood sacrifice of what you did for me. Amen. So, Father, as I pray this morning and close out this service, I thank you for the table of the Lord. I thank you that you're the first one. They constructed a table. I pray that as we walk into this season, that we will own the table. We will own the conversation. We will be the bread of your presence because we're a part of the bread of life. We are his body. And we thank you for loving us and for dying for us. And Heavenly Father, I pray now over this crowd that if there's any soul here that has never asked Jesus to be Lord, that they would come up and they would do it today. And that if someone is with them that is not sure if they've done it, that they bring them up and say, come on, go up with me. Let's do this. Let's make this a surety in our life. I'll be saved, full of God on my way to heaven. And I thank you and I bless every person in this place. In Jesus' name.